Welcome back to Creston in the Afternoon. Tom Nash, contributing apologist for Catholic Answers, filling in for Al today. And we've seen some issues in the last nine years during the pontificate of Pope Francis where uh, it's been good that the Pope has talked about the reality of the devil, but yet at the same time, some things have been less than clear, whether it's teaching about receiving communion with the divorce remarried or things going on in the Sonoma Way in Germany with regard to trying to bless unions that you cannot bless. People can have friendships, but there's certain things about romantic aspects that cannot be between two men and two women. And anyway, those and other issues being addressed in a big new book coming out April 7th by Emmaus Road Publishing, Father Gerald Murray, Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises, Facing the Catholic Church. Father Murray, you may know him well from... The his work as one of the papal posse members with Robert Royal on uh, EWTN's The World Over with Raymond Royal. He's also a regular author at thecatholicthing.org and also a canon lawyer in the Archdiocese of New York. Father, so good to have you on the program. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. And full disclosure, I did help with regard to this uh, with the book. It was a privilege for me to help with just, you know, editing and some thoughts and all that. Of course, it's, it, the book is yours and, and Diane Montagna, with whom you you uh, did the interview style type of book. Uh, she herself um, you know, has her license in sacred theology and also is, is an experienced journalist. So she brings a lot in terms of precision and insight to the process. But what, why this book, this particular book, and why now, Father? Well, the book had its origin in a request from Scott Hahn, who uh, asked me and Diane if we'd be willing to do an interview-style book. And he may have gotten the idea because Diane did an interview book with Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who's a bishop in Kazakhstan. And uh, that's a wonderful interview book that uh, Diane did with him, which basically began with an account of his life, which is a fascinating life. He had to flee the Soviet Union as a boy and ended up in Germany. He was originally of German um, origin, uh, German ethnic stock, and uh, later became a priest and bishop. And uh, that was a wonderful interview book. So Scott Hahn and I both endorsed that book. We gave endorsements for it. So I think that's where he got the idea. Diane and I were very happy to do it. I've known Diane for a number of years and uh, think she's an excellent journalist and uh, writes with great precision. So she came up with the schema of the book. We took the incident when our Lord was asleep in the boat as they were, uh, the apostles were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and then the storm came up. The Lord calmed the storm and gave them a lesson about who he is. So uh, the, the book is based on that motif, and we look at now the storms afflicting the church uh, and society and, you know, what is the nature of what's happening and what are the remedies? How should we counter uh, those difficulties? If Pope Francis were to ask Father Gerald Murray in, in a distillation, what do you think I'm doing well? What do you think I could be doing better? What would your thoughts be in that regard? And I guess kind of hit on that with regard to the book itself. Sure. Well, you know, that would be uh, a gracious act on the Pope if he were to uh, seek my advice. And I would say, in all honesty, Holy Father, your outreach uh, to people, your people skills, so to speak, the the desire that you have to make people 
feel that bishops and the Pope and priests are close to them and want to help them to come to know Jesus. That's very admirable. His dedication to being uh, of help to the poor and the sick, uh, that's marvelous. He certainly is a man of prayer, and he talks about always praying for him, uh, keeping him in, in our prayers. So, you know, as an example of that, you know, the priest has to direct people toward God through prayer and good works and an approachable style. I think the Pope is teaching us something very important. On the other hand, I would have to say to him, the, one of the great missions of the successor, St. Peter, is to confirm the brethren in the faith, which means to defend the doctrine of the faith and then to teach and instruct all the members of the Church about the truths of the faith, particularly when those truths are attacked, as they are in our modern society, and sad to say, in our Church nowadays, uh, there are many instances, and you mentioned the German synodal way, uh, the German hierarchy is basically uh, denying essential doctrines of the faith uh, at this present moment, and um, while the Pope has criticized them in the past and told them, you know, to stay within the bounds of the faith, they are not listening. And I think they need to hear that message a little more strongly. Yeah, I think of the, the congregation of the Doctor of the Faith as a year or two ago. It says, you know, you cannot bless sin. Again, two people, two men, two women can have a, a very deep, loving uh, brother-sister relationship, or brother, two brothers, two sisters. Yeah, but we're all called to live chastity according to the state of life, but it's like if you have the CDF saying one thing, but yet people are still free to do what they want in Germany, at least in terms of a leadership role, then it's kind of, a, as you say, confusing or an inconsistent message on the, because on the, ground, on the ground level, so to speak, uh, they're not, um, the sheep are not being led well. No, that was, uh, the, that was a year ago that the CDF issued uh, a teaching uh, regarding whether it's possible to bless the union of two homosexuals. And the CDF said, no, it's impossible. Uh, this goes against Catholic teaching. Uh, we cannot bless what is by its nature sinful. Uh, what distinguishes a homosexual relationship from a, from a sane and good form of friendship is indulging in mortal sin. Yeah. Uh, sodomy is a mortal sin, and it can in no way be approved. And it has nothing to do with marriage. So, of course, we know that the goal of the gay rights movement was to get a marriage for homosexual couples. And in the United States, that was given them by the Supreme Court. So that was condemned. And yet, as soon as it came out, uh, bishops in Europe rejected it vocally and uh we have the German Synodal Way has rejected it. And Cardinal Marx of Munich recently apologized to gay activists for church teaching and said the catechism has to be changed. Likewise, Bishop Batzing, the president of the German Bishops' Conference. And then we had, incredibly, Cardinal Hollerich, uh, who is uh, the archbishop in Luxembourg, which is a small country uh, near Belgium and Germany, uh, and in that uh, that cardinal is also the relato general, which means he's the kind of secretary for the upcoming synod on synodality. He simply said in an interview, the church is teaching homosexuality is wrong. Uh, cardinal Hollerich said that that's a denial of an essential doctrine of the faith, and he wasn't publicly reprimanded. He wasn't removed as the you know secretary for the next uh, uh, synod on bishops. So. 
you have to say that uh, if the Holy See wants to guide the faithful in the defense of the faith, uh, they're not doing a good job right now. And that that's just a statement of fact. I think, of too, with, with regard to clarity, if you're saying on the one hand that you can't bless sin, but then you're allowing these people to say these things with impunity— the Pope has shown, certainly, with regard to someone like the bishop in Puerto Rico who didn't, uh, you know, he certainly wants to to stop the spread of COVID, but he uh, he's not uh, real enthusiastic about the vaccine, uh, the various vaccines as a means to address that. That's more of a prudential judgment, yet he gets removed, and yet these other ones, on, even though that's a prudential judgment, these other ones are are continuing to go, and that just causes all the more confusion. Yes, well, you're speaking about uh, Bishop Daniel Fernandez, who is the form, now the former Bishop of Arecibo in Puerto Rico. And the Holy See never announced why Bishop Fernandez was removed. Um, it, you know, the media reports played up that he was in disagreement with um, the other bishops in Puerto Rico about vaccination policy. But, you know, we have to remind ourselves the Holy See, the doc- Congress Doctrine of Faith itself issued a document in which they said uh, ordinarily vaccines cannot be mandated. So um, you have you know, have to say Bishop Fernandez wasn't doing anything against the faith. Now, he himself said that he was, the nuncio told him that he was uh, not in communion with uh, his fellow bishops in Puerto Rico, which means he had some disagreements with them, in fact. Uh, and those disagreements, you know, are known by people who live in Puerto Rico he also said he was disobedient to the Holy Father, which is not true. Uh, you know, he had been summoned to Rome and uh, said, well, during COVID, he didn't want to travel, which a lot of people didn't travel during COVID. Sure. Uh, now, Bishop Fernandez was undeservedly, in my opinion, removed. And the Holy See, if they want to be, you know, completely transparent, needs to tell people why this happened, because to all appearances, he was a very good bishop. He was doing a fine job. Yeah, and if you're not in communion, quote-unquote, the issue is, are are you standing up? If there's a disagreement, what are you disagreeing about? Because if uh, you're disagreeing on something where the majority is incorrect or timid about preaching the truth, then that's that's good to be in that uh, adversarial role, yes? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's with St. John Fisher was not in agreement with most English bishops about you know, taking the oath uh, regarding Henry VIII as head of the Church of England. No, disagreements among bishops, the Pope himself has said that he wants bishops to feel free in their discussions at synods and, by analogy, just an ordinary life, uh, to defend a point of view, and then everyone should listen to them so they perhaps can learn and change their opinion. So I, I very much regret Bishop Fernandez's removal, and, um, you know, it's People of Arecibo in Puerto Rico were shocked by this and scandalized, and they've asked the Holy See to restore him to his diocese, and that would be the best thing possible. We'll pick up uh, in our next segment, but just as a, a brief thought as we go to the transition, Father, I think of the fact that Pope Francis has invited constructive criticism, and you note that in your book, and we can talk more about that, about I think you're a model in that regard, both for lay people and for the clergy, uh, in the next segment, but this is something that you're doing as a, a as a faithful pastor, not as some kind of a negative adversarial role. Of course, no. We both, all of us, have the same interest, which is to promote the mission of the church 
help people to know Christ, to preach the doctrine of the faith. Uh, so when there are disagreements, um, you know, brother listens to brother. That's really what the gospel calls us to do. Father, on the other side, I'd like to talk more about how, as I think, you know, and w- what you attempt to do with regard to being a model, because I think there are a lot of lay people, you know, we've got social media and that who are saying, feeling empowered about dealing with uh whether it's their local bishops, their local pastor, or the Pope, and not always acting in charity and therefore being a stumbling block for people coming into the church and staying into the church. And I'd like to get your thoughts about how you try to approach that yourself on the other side of the break. Speaking to Father Gerald Murray, his book coming out April 7th, Emmaus Road Publishing, Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises Facing the Catholic Church. Back in just a moment. Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. Tom Nash talking further with Father Gerald Murray, pastor of Holy Family Church in Manhattan in New York. Uh, you know, may know him better as a member of the Papal Posse of, uh, with Raymond Arroyo and Robert Royal of uh, the, the World Over with Raymond Arroyo on EW10 every Thursday. Also his writing at the Catholic Thing. But big thing coming out is April 7th, and you can get it online, order it online, I should say from Emmaus Road Publishing, maybe order from your local Catholic bookstores, other means you can do it online, but let's support the church as much as possible directly, if we can. And uh, the book is Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises, Facing the Catholic Church and Society. And Father, before the break, I spoke about how, and I and I mean this sincerely, about being a good model, because there are some people say, well, I'm not going to criticize the Pope, but they'll blast their local bishop or their lo- their pastor and it's it's not an either or. It, you in any event, we've got to be speaking the truth, but speaking it in charity. I think a lot of lay people can miss the boat, whether it's regarding the pope or their local pastor or their their bishop, and realize that they themselves need to calm the storm within themselves if they're going to be a good witness. Could you address that too? That it's not just if we we can't always fix things in the church, but we can address ourselves so as to be a more fruitful witness and therefore a more credible witness. What do you think? Yes, no, and we have to be, of course, charitable in all things, because that's, you know, the call of Christ, and if we want to be Christ-like, we have to show love to our neighbor, and everyone is our neighbor, including the Pope and the bishop and the local priest. Uh, Part of charity, of course, is speaking the truth. You know, the truth will set you free, so the truth of matters, uh, whatever's, you know, under discussion or under examination, we have a duty to speak the truth. And if the truth is uncomfortable or makes people feel, uh, you know, well, this is going to offend someone because they don't seem to agree with you. Well, when there's a disagreement in the, in the church about the meaning of the teaching or a practice, uh, we try to convince people why we think they're making a mistake. And when we do that, that's, you know, an attempt to arrive at the truth is, you know, what is the best way to promote the church's mission in this regard. And, you know, when the Pope issues a document such as Amoris Letizia, in which he says something that no Pope has ever said, and which directly goes against what Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict had taught regarding uh, the unsuitability of people who are in invalid second marriages to be given Holy Communion, uh, the Pope says there are cases when people in invalid, or they call them irregular unions, can be admitted to, to, to the help of the sacraments. 
Um, and the church has always taught a couple who was invalidly married, who for serious reasons would like to return to the practice of sacraments, they have to live as brother and sister. Mm. Uh, they might want to stay together for the sake of any children they may have had. Uh, they may be uh, older and uh, one of the people involved in the relationship is ill and needs assistance. Those kind of reasons would say, fine, as long as you avoid adultery, as long as you don't live together as man and woman, husband and wife, live as brother and sister, and avoid scandal, you know, through you, in the community where you live, then you can be readmitted to the sacraments. Um, and that was taught clearly by John Paul II and Benedict. Pope Francis, on the other hand, teaching that people who you don't have to live a brother and sister in some cases. And this has been picked up by many different bishops. The bishops in the Buenos Aires region of Argentina issued a document stating flat out that some divorced and remarried Catholics can be admitted to the sacraments. And the Pope wrote them a letter and said, you, you have correctly interpreted my uh, statement in Amoris Letizia. And then he ordered that statement from Buenos Aires bishops to be put in the uh, apostolic act of the, of the Holy See, which is the official publication. So he's giving it a magisterial standard. Um, that kind which of thing can't deserves, have. we can't, can't have that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's wrong. And I think the Pope made a mistake. As you know, Cardinal Burke and four, three other Cardinals, uh, issued a, a dubia to the Pope. They sent them at first privately to the Pope, uh, asking him to explain how his teaching corresponds to the teaching of the earlier Popes. And, uh, it was made known to the Cardinals. The Pope would not answer those dubia. So then the Cardinals published the dubia for other people to be able to benefit from seeing, you know, what questions they were asking, what analysis they were applying, why they were asking the questions. And to this day, the dubia have never been answered. And uh, their objections expressed in their reasoning, why they asked the questions, I think is convincing. So uh, now we have to recall the case of Bishop Barros in Chile. Mm. Uh, you may remember that, that uh, there was a priest in Chile, a rather prominent priest, who was accused of sexual abuse of minors and of seminarians and people aspiring to the priesthood. And Bishop Barros was accused by one of them or more of them, I can't remember, but accused of being accessory, of being present while this was going on or knowing it was going on and doing nothing. And uh, yet the Pope made him bishop of a place called Azorno in Chile. And the people in Azorno rebelled. They said, we don't want this man as our bishop. The Pope said to them, you're wrong. Uh, he, this is, these are all calumnies. These are false charges. The people were persisted, and uh, the Pope then sent an investigator. Uh, Archbishop Shikluna was sent to Chile. He investigated, found out, no, indeed, the people are right. And uh, Bishop Barros uh, was forced out of office, and the Pope apologized for having supported him. So that's an example where we all have the same common interest. We want to know the truth about Barros, Bishop Barros, and what happened. And, uh, and then the whole community uh, will benefit from a good decision. And that's what the Pope did, even though he had to overturn his earlier decision. Yeah, and you mentioned, too, about Lemoris Letizia, and, and, and kudos to the Pope for overturning that decision and having the humility uh, to recognize that. But with regard to Lemoris Letizia or anybody receiving communion, not in a state of... Uh, in a state of sanctity, uh, a state of grace, as the church teaches, 
it seems like you're going to be encouraging people to make a false irenicism with regard to their sins, that somehow it's going to be okay and, and you can have a quote-unquote sacramental mulligan, if you will, and we're not doing anybody, we're not doing anybody favors by that because it's almost as if like, well, gee, uh, holiness is something that is not an option or, or is, is too difficult instead of seeing that it's the truth that sets us free or in the process of saying that, well, being holy is, is rather a, uh, a wide path instead of a narrow path. Right. You know, the reasoning in Amoris Atitze is very faulty. You know, that people saying they can't uh, abandon their uh, adulterous relationship, that it would do more harm than good to do that. Well, this is not true. Stop, to stop committing adultery never does harm to anyone. It does yeah. good to you, to the person you're cooperating in sin with, to others who know you're committing adultery and they are dissatisfied by it and they're encouraged to commit that sin or other sins. So to stop committing adultery is always possible. No one is bound to sin and no one offends God by sinning. Uh, excuse me, no one offends God by stopping sinning. Exactly. Uh, so to say that it, it would cause more pro- harm than good to, to leave an adulterous relationship is not true. So the reasoning given to Marcia and we know that the Pope didn't write every single word of it, that he had advisors uh, who advised him on it, and one of them uh, was this Bishop Fernandez, uh, who's a bishop in Argentina, and he is not a rigorous uh, moral theologian. He's a rather laxist in his approach. So that's what we have here. We cannot endorse relativism in the life of the church, which is what the German bishops want. They basically want to say, if the church taught that homosexuality was wrong in the past, we've got to get over that because things change. Bishop Hall, Cardinal Hollerick said, modern science has shown the Catholic teaching homosexuality is wrong. That's, that's nonsense. Modern science has not shown anything like that. Modern science can't contradict God. God is the author of creation. All science comes from him because he is all knowledge and wisdom. So science cannot be used as an excuse to get rid of Catholic teaching. But that's what's being done right now. And I hope the Pope reacts against it. But, you know, uh, Cardinal Hollerick said his uh, horrendous statement more than a month ago. And there's been no indication uh, that, that what he said uh, is going to be contradicted by the Holy See. It's, it's very, very discouraging and sad. Imagine, you know, that you are trying to uphold moral teaching in the diocese where Cardinal Hollerick is in charge. He comes along and says this, and then homosexual people come up and say, guess what? The bishop's on our side. Yeah. You know, we want to commit sodomy, and we think it's good. We think it's part of God's plan. And the, the, bishop, the cardinal agrees with us. This is intolerable. That's not how the church is supposed to operate. It's ironic, too, because you talk about invoking science, invoking uh, the world. And one need not have a religious argument charitably stated or invoke the divine to say that it's self-evident that sodomy itself is contrary to the human good, that you can clearly see the absence of complementarity. There is no giving and receiving, as we see, for example, in the marital act. And you mentioned, too, with regard to the people of, uh, you know, living as brother and sister, right? That that is a showing with the grace of the sacraments that they can do it. They can, they, they're helping each other out. They're giving a witness to people. And it just shows, like, gee, if it comes right down to it, living for Christ is, is something that's going to set us free and having faith and trust in Christ instead of thinking that we can have our cake and eat it, too, and ultimately deceive ourselves with relativistic self-destruction. 
Absolutely, Tom. And then how about the question of salvation? Does Cardinal Hollerick fear for his salvation? Does he fear for the salvation of people who commit mortal sin with his approval? Um, You know, we're supposed to lead people away from hell. We're supposed to lead them toward heaven. Um, You know, Jesus Christ said, you know, woe to those who scandalize the little ones. So, you know, if you you tell a young man who's having some problems trying to figure out what to do in life, oh, it's a great idea to become a homosexual and commit sodomy. It's a great thing. That's what Cardinal Hollerick is, in effect, saying. Uh, he's going to be responsible, you know, for the wealth, spiritual downfall of that soul if that's what happens in the end. So I, this is very, very troubling. I yeah. Mean, it's not, shepherds of the Church are only there because they're supposed to lead us in the pathway of the Lord. If they do anything else, they need to be removed. They should repent or be removed. You mentioned the importance of the sacraments in your book, and particularly with the Mass and the Eucharist. How would you tell people approaching the sacraments, approaching prayer, what advice would you give people to help calm the storm within so that they can be a better witness and to say, hey, guess what? Because, you know, I, I people say, well, gee, you got your Pope who's not being clear on some of these teachings. And I said, well, what's the alternative? Because <laughs> Martin Luther or John Calvin, where you're going to have somebody who doesn't have the lineage of 2,000 years and is in and connected with Christ, the church is, is divinely founded. So what would you say, and, and therefore sustained, even amidst the storms of less than perfect leadership, whatever level it might be at, what would you, as, with that in mind, what would you say to people about calming the storm within so that they can be a better witness and not always worry about everything's perfect outside of them? Sure. You know, yeah, our, our personal union with Christ and our love of God does not depend on the fact that everyone else is doing the right thing, uh, including people in the Church. So we just have to be faithful to the Lord, know the teaching, uh, receive the sacraments with devotion, uh, and know have confidence in Christ. You know, St. Peter, as the Lord was being tried, uh, was denying that he knew him. So, you know, the followers of Christ were, again, like going back to ancient Israel, how oftentimes the leadership mm. wandered. Yeah, uh, the golden calf was being worshipped while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments. You know, the the, the Lord didn't want calf, you know, golden calf worship, but when it happened, it became the occasion for a rebuke by Moses of Aaron, and uh, likewise, you know, Saint Peter was rebuked by Saint Paul at one point. So, uh, you know, to and that rebuking think you made a mistake is not a is not bad per se it has to be done with love absolutely and the rebuking and the reproving can be itself like you say an act of love a true charity because you're trying to people lead people from being led astray from the lord the name of the book calming the storm navigating the crises facing the catholic church coming out soon from mas world publishing order it now father gerald murray